Well, I want to continue a series I've been doing on the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's true that people everywhere, it doesn't matter who we are, we talk to one another, you find that what goes on in our lives that is not seen are struggles with low esteem, struggles with not feeling good enough, struggles with guilt. We remember things that we've done in the past and struggle to feel good enough to come near to God. We have issues that seem to, we thought we'd gotten over them and they seem to come back. Old patterns, old habits, old ways. For all of us, there are inner conflicts and turmoils that go on. I think they go on until the day you die. There are struggling against the old life, that old nature. But there is a remedy. There is a remedy. And there are things that you and I can get hold of in our life that will cause us to get victory over those struggles. And one of the most powerful weapons that God has given you and me to overcome anything the devil would throw, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that Jesus shed is still powerful today. I have been many meetings where I have spoken to a demonized man and said to that demon, here, look at the blood of Jesus. And I saw that demon with fear in its eyes scream out. They certainly know the reality of the blood and what it does. Most Christians don't. And so we want to help you with that. And we saw, as we've looked over the last couple of weeks, that God, who established all things, set rules in place. He set physical laws. He set spiritual laws. Not only that, he also set consequences for disobeying or breaking spiritual laws. So when we break spiritual laws, there's always a consequence. You say, well, I, did, I sinned and didn't see anything. I didn't feel any different afterwards. But that doesn't mean that you haven't set in place something you will feel and experience. That's the problem with sin. It really deceives us because we think we sin and get away with it. Nothing much seemed to happen immediately. God spoke to Adam in the day you sin, you'll die. But he didn't die physically that day. He lived almost a thousand years. But was it true that what God said actually applied? Certainly. The day he sinned, something changed in him. He changed. And that change outworked in all kinds of different ways. And so that's the deception of sin. We, we come and we call things by another name except sin. Or it's my problem. Or it's my hang-up. Or it's my past. We have all kinds of labels to try and smooth it out rather than calling it what it is. That was sin. That was pride. That was anger. That was hate. That was lust. That was fear. That is sin. And when you can call it what it is, there's a remedy. If you try and cover it or deny it or wrestle to admit to it, you've got no remedy. It's still going to work in your life. You'll just reap the consequences. There is a remedy for the failures of life. There is a remedy for our mistakes that we make. There is a remedy for the besetting problems. It's found in what Jesus did at the cross. So we want to look about this. Let's have a look in Hebrews 9. And I want to share some things today about the completion, the completeness of the redemption in Jesus. We'll just read this in Hebrews chapter 9. And when you read these, if you, it may be initially a little difficult to get a hold of. We'll just explain it in simple terms shortly. Now, high, Christ, verse 11, Christ came as a high priest of good things to come. So Jesus is a high priest uh, uh, of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, notice, with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. If the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of heifer and sprinkling of unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So he's referring here, and the book to Hebrews was written to people who understood their heritage and their history. So they understood the law of Moses and all the things that perhaps you and I are not so familiar with. So they understood that all that they had learned in the past was a picture of something that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They uh, were told by God when they came out of Egypt to build a tabernacle, a place where God would dwell, and there was a protocol for coming into the very presence of God which the high priest followed. And if you broke that protocol, you died. So once a year, the high priest would go in to the very holy place where the presence of God shone and lit this place up, and he would make offerings on behalf of the nation of the blood of goats and heifers and and bulls and calves. And he would do it once a year, and that would sanctify the people for one more year. It never solved sin. It never dealt with the root problems. What it did was legally before God made provision for the nation for another year. But God was using these things as a picture of something that was to come. So when you study these things in the Old Testament, they are a vivid prophetic picture of the reality of what Jesus has done. And I want to lay that out in a bit more detail today. So go to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. And it'll become quite practical in just a moment when you start to see how this translates into realities for us today. And in Leviticus chapter 16, it is a a description of what would happen on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the one day a year when the high priest came in and had to deal with the sins of a nation. There'd be a lot of sins, wouldn't there? That could two or three million people, and everyone's sinning every day. Man, that's a lot of sins. So once a year he'd come in. This was the big day. And God describes exactly what he's got to do. And notice what he says, verse uh, 7, they take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Two goats. Then he'll cast lots for the two goats. He'll throw a lot. And one for the Lord and the other one for the scapegoat. So he'd have two goats. The two goats were presented to the Lord, one offering. So when you think two goats, one offering. Okay? One offering. And then they would get the dice. And he'd throw the lot, and one of them would be chosen. And one of them was chosen to shed its blood. The other was chosen to uh, be the scapegoat. But it was all a picture of the same in one offering, what Jesus would do for us. So they would take the goat that was uh, chosen to be the offering, the sin offering for the people. And in verse uh, 15, he will kill the goat of the sin offering for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with the blood what he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat seven times. So the priest would take the two goats, present them to the Lord, one offering. He'd take one of them, and that one would be slain, take the blood, and he would go in to the very holiest where God was, and he'd take the blood, he had it in a basin, and seven times he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, on the ark, where the presence of God dwelled, and then right down on the ground before it, seven times. We'll come back to that in a moment. Then the second thing he did uh, after that in verse 21, when he, verse 20, when he made an end for atoning for the holy place and so on, he bring the live goat, and he lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins, and he put them on the head of the goat. Oh, that's a long, long list. 
Imagine going around the nation finding, what did you all do wrong this last year? That's a lot of sinning has gone on among two million people in one year. You can imagine that. And so he would lay hands on the head of the live goat. Notice what he'd do. Laying on the hands always is impartation. He put his hands on the head of the goat, and he would speak or decree these other sins. Lust, pride, fornication, adultery, perversions. He'd go through the list of what had been going on in the nation for a year, and he would speak them over the live goat. And then the live goat would be released, would go into the wilderness, it would never be seen again. So notice two pictures. One, two goats, one offering. One goat would be slain and shed its blood, and the blood sprinkled seven times. The other goat, hands laid on it, and now the work becomes complete. The sins are imparted to the goat, the goat goes, and they're never to be seen again. A picture for us of Jesus Christ who shed his blood, and when you and I apply the blood to our life, our sins are taken away, never to be remembered anymore. Most amazing picture. Amazing Old Testament picture. And all of these things in the Old Testament are to help us understand what Christ has done. Because if I just tell you, well, Jesus died for your sins and he's forgiven you, it's very shallow. But if we begin to look into some of the pictures and patterns shown in the Old Testament, oh, it becomes so vivid, all that he did. Because it's hard to explain to someone all that Jesus did on the cross. That's why the Old Testament has got these pictures. So as you study them and keep thinking about Jesus and, and what he did for us, you begin to see the full breadth of it. It's extraordinary. But even in how it happens, someone has to shed their blood, and someone else must confess the sins. See? But the work is complete, the work of Jesus Christ. So we want to focus on that. Now notice what they confessed over them, iniquities, transgressions, and sins. Now in the New Testament, you hear one word, it's called sin, kind of the coverall word. But actually, it's composed of three things. Sins. Sins are where we break the law of God, but we do it ignorantly. We didn't realize, we didn't know. That's what the Bible calls sins. Transgressions are where we actually knew what we should do, we knew what was right and what was wrong, and we deliberately did what was wrong. That is a transgression. One, we didn't know and did it anyway. We're still guilty. There was an offering for those sins of ignorance. Two, we did it and we knew exactly what we're doing. And the third thing is iniquity. Iniquity is the quickness or the, the twistedness in our life that motivates and moves us to continually sin in certain kinds of ways. So it often is connected to our generational background. We'll get back to that another time. Okay, so notice what he did. All of it, all of it went on. Sins, transgressions, iniquities. Didn't matter if you didn't know, it still needed a remedy. So God has provided a remedy, all of them, the whole lot. Ignorance, deliberate, or just the crookedness in our life, this is all there. Now notice, so we've got it there. There's, now notice what happens here in verse 15. He killed the, uh, verse 14. He takes some of the blood of the bull, sprinkled his finger on the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat, seven times. Now I want to look at this thing seven times. Whenever you see something done seven times, seven times the blood of this was put on, seven times the blood of that was put on, every time you see the number seven, it tries to highlight to us that whatever we're looking at or whatever's there is a complete picture of what God is wanting to do. It's always a perfect number, seven days in a week, a full week. You know, how many times should I forgive? Seventy times seven. In other words, Jesus is saying, you just forgive completely and you don't keep going back there. It's completion of whatever we do. Many cycles of things are in times or days of seven. 
So seven is a number, it's a number of God, but it's a number where something is complete. So he sprinkles seven times. So each time he sprinkled, it was a part of the complete picture of sin and the things we struggle with being dealt with. And so he sprinkled the blood seven times. And, and I want to open up for you a little bit of understanding about the shedding of that blood. He shed the blood so that we could be forgiven, made clean, come out of all cursing, and walk in blessing. That's the provision. We'll look at it in another scripture. Later. Let's have a look in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. There are seven things that Jesus came to redeem us from. Seven things that the blood of Jesus Christ addresses. We're going to Isaiah 53. You know this very familiar. And then I'm going to pick up and see if you can identify what the seven areas or seven ways Jesus shed his blood. And it's interesting, Jesus shed his blood in seven ways. The high priest sprinkled the blood seven times. Seven. Now why do you do it seven times? Just because this is a good thing, it's a happy thing, it's a good number. I like that seven. We'll do it seven. No, it's not. It's because God's trying to tell us that the work Jesus did can be applied to every aspect of our life. And there's a way to apply it. Now, if we don't apply the blood in the way God designates, we don't get the benefits of what he's done for us. See? So let's have a look at Isaiah 53. And it says, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken and smitten of God, but he was afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, or pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace, lack of peace, was upon him. By his stripes we healed, and we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord put on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I'm not going to open all of that up, but I'm going to go through piece by piece and have a look at where and how Jesus shed his blood and you'll see all of them are included. There are different things that the blood of Jesus was shed to do in our life. If you just say, well, he just shed his blood for my sin. Jesus, please forgive me, and uh, I'm getting on my way now. That'll be fine. Thank you for forgiving me. Now, God will operate with you when you're a young Christian, certainly, just through a simple prayer like that. But as we grow, he wants us to understand the completeness of the work so we can lay hold of all the fullness of what he's done for us. Because I've observed that many people come to Christ, they experience the initial joy of their forgiveness and salvation, and often don't stay in a place of life. And much of it is because of an internal wrestling with feeling guilty, something's wrong with me, not good enough. There's something seems to keep landing on the soul that can't seem to get a victory over. Struggles that go on, old issues seem to come up. Uh, there's a remedy for all of these things. You've got to know what the remedy is and then how the remedy applies. So let's have a look at the first one there. Uh, first, so the first thing we'll do there is we're going to ask you then if you can identify how many places you felt you, Jesus shed his blood. Probably you, you'll come up with a few of them. Uh, see if we can get all the seven. What would be the first place that you can just think of? The head, the head was one, yeah, yeah, okay. Another one? Hands, must have been the hands, yeah. Nails in the hand. The back, yes, okay, the back, yes. Side, yes, spear in the side, yeah. Feet. Okay, we've got it. Five. Internal, bleeding, yes, and the blood. Sweating, good, you've got a whole seven. That's fantastic. Okay, let's go through each one of them and have a look at each one of them in turn. The first, not necessarily in order of importance, just, uh, but I want to pick the last two other very important ones. Very, very important. <laughs> first one, Jesus, um, when, he was, uh, when he was crucified on the cross, they drove great spikes through his 
his, his wrist. When the Bible's talking about your hands, uh, whenever the Bible's talking about your hands, it's always referring to the work you do because you do things with your hands. You have no hands, it's very hard to work. So with our hands we work. So when we talk about hands, we're talking about the works that we do. In the Bible, uh, the first sin was committed with hands. You know, Eve took the fruit with her hands. She gave the fruit to her husband. He took it and he ate it with his hands. The first murder was committed by the hands of Cain. Cain slew his brother. So the Bible tells us very clearly that by the hands of a man, sin came. In other words, your hands then is a picture of every work that you do, the things that we do. Now you can think of the things that you've done with your hands that you're a little ashamed of. Things that you've done with your hands that you wish you hadn't done. Areas of our life where we've done things with our hands, the works of our hands, literally the things we've done that we feel a sense of shame or guilt or regret about. All the works of our hands. Now Jesus, when he died on the cross, they pierced through. Now they didn't put it through his hand. He would have just torn off the cross. What they did is they drove two big spikes just at the base of the hand right there, just in this part uh, of the wrist here uh, where there's a gap between the bones. But it's also the place where there's a major nerve. Now if you were to get your hand, if I hold my hand up like this, and I just start to squeeze my my, my, uh, into my, now you can see like that, just involuntarily when I put my finger on that nerve that runs down inside my arm, the hand begins to shrivel up. You just can't stop it. Any of you had a massage and someone puts a hand and they squeeze you there, your hand will just close like that. It just closes. So it's quite actually when someone massages, it's very nice. And the reason it does that is because there's a massive nerve that runs through there around past your elbow, that's called your funny bone, but it's actually the nerve and it runs right across through to your heart, right across the chest. So what they did was they drove a spike right through the nerve, and immediately his hand would go like a claw like that, and blood would spurt out all over his hands. When Jesus did this, he suffered immense torment. And he had to, in order to breathe, keep pulling himself up on his hands, on that spike. And blood would spurt out until in the end the hole opened up, and you could even see the very bones inside. It was a horrendous way to die. Jesus shed his blood on his hands for every work you did that was evil, everything you've ever done that was wrong, the blood was shed for forgiveness and cleansing. That blood can be applied to every sinful action, no matter what we have done, no matter what we have participated in, no matter what our hands have touched that have brought defilement to our life, you can come and say, Lord, with my hands I have sinned. Lord, I am guilty of punishment and judgment because of what I did with my hands. But I thank you today that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed to cleanse all my works. You can apply that blood and have cleansing. Not only have cleansing, but you could also have blessing upon the works of your hands because Jesus died not just to forgive us, but that we might be blessed in all the works of our hands. So you can arise whenever you fail, whenever you do something with your hands that's wrong or evil, then you can just say, Lord, I come before you. What I did was sin. What I did was wrong. But I come, Lord, to the cross. I come to the blood that was shed. I apply that blood to this work of mine, and I decree and declare in agreement with you, forgiven. Now today, I present my hands to you, and I declare the works of my hands are blessed. When I lay hands upon people, the blessing of God will flow. The anointing of God will flow. Whatever I do will be blessed by Almighty God. That's good faith praying for you. Day by day by day, praying for the works of your hands. Because everyone can go out and do something. You do something with your hands. Why not begin to get your hands clean? Hands are always connected to the heart. 
what we do comes out of our heart. Second thing then is, our, is, our, is the feet. Well, the feet. Bible look, because obviously the feet speaks of your walk, because wherever your feet go, that's where you're going. So your feet are the walk, your direction in life, your steps, your ways. So when the Bible's talking about your feet, it's talking about your ways, the kind of walk you have. You can walk in pride, you can walk in fear, you can walk in anxiety, you can walk in rebellion, you can walk in independence. Whatever you walk, that, that your walk is your path. Now, initially, when you take one step, that's not a path, but you keep taking the same steps. After a while, there's a path that you've worn. And when you look at that path, you can see what's written all over it. Pride, fear, grief, uh, rejection. Your path that you walk come out of the decisions you make. And so your, your feet speak then of your walk, the way you live your life. And people become known for their walk. They become known for how they live out their life. So if there's pride in your heart, you become known as a proud or an arrogant person. If there's anger, you become known as an angry person, and you have an angry way. The Bible says, we all like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. So when the Bible's speaking about the feet, it's speaking about your, your steps, the walk you take. It's speaking about the decisions you make day by day that will take you in a certain direction. Jesus died and shed his blood. He shed his blood over his feet. What did they do? Well, they took these huge spikes and they put it right there between the second and third metatarsal bone. They drove the spikes straight through the feet. Now, it turns out that if you were to find that spot on your feet and press on it, you'd find it quite painful because there's a nerve there as well. So the spike went straight into the nerve that's bunched there right at that place. And now this excruciating pain and shock would have gone right through his body. So he's in shock because of the spikes on his hands and in shock because of the spikes through his feet. And the blood spurted out all over his feet. He shed his blood a second time. This time for your ways, the way you walk, the decisions you make, choices you make, the decisions you make. We make decisions every day. How many have made some bad decisions? How many did it and you didn't really realize it was bad? You kind of thought it was okay. Uh, yeah, but it was still a bad choice. Uh, you have a bad consequence, you notice, even if you didn't. But I didn't mean it. It doesn't make any difference. You still get the results. Have you noticed that too? But I didn't mean, I meant well. No, but you actually made a very bad choice. So your bad choices have consequences. And remember, sins or sins of ignorance are still a sin. They still have a consequence. You can't go through life with God saying, well, I didn't know. It's not fair. It doesn't work that way. He just laid the principle out. We either walk in his principles or against them. When you violate them, there's always a consequence. Well, but I didn't really know. I know your conscience in your heart, you knew it was wrong. If you'd stopped to listen to your heart, you would have known that wasn't the right thing to do. But you still did it anyway. Well, here's the good news. The good news is the blood of Jesus was shed for every wrong decision you made. Blood of Jesus can be applied to every wrong decision. It can be applied to the choices you've made in the past. Sometimes we'd say, I wish I hadn't made that decision. I wish I hadn't done that. I can think of some right now. I wish I hadn't done that. To this day, the consequences are there. Well, God will give you grace for the consequences provided you bring the wrong decision to the cross. So for all the wrong decisions that I've made, I need to come, Lord, that decision was a wrong decision. 
Lord, I acted contrary to you. I went against your way. I just followed my old crooked ways. It's sin and it has a consequence. But Lord, today I bring my choice to the cross. I bring it to the blood and I thank you. I agree with you. It is sin worthy of punishment. But I also agree that your blood has paid the price of that wrong choice. So today in Jesus' name, it no longer stands. And I commit my life today to make good choices. And I thank you today you will lead me in every decision I make. So you can bring your wrong decisions to the cross. You never need to be condemned or guilty anymore for any wrong choice you made. The blood is there to cover and to address the whole thing of your wrong decisions. I wonder how many of you today, as you pray and you get up and you begin to pray, commit your hands to the Lord, the works of your hands, all you put your hand to today and declare His blessing over it. Or commit your walk today and choose to walk. Today I'll walk in dependence on you. Today I'll walk in love. Today I'll walk in faith. Today I choose to walk in humility. Today, Lord, I thank you. Your blood cleanses my will and every part of me cleanses my feet. Today I will walk in right paths because you're leading me. See, this is powerful faith praying to establish your life before you go out in the day. You could do that, couldn't you? Many people don't think to do that. And then they wonder why they seem to have a lot of problems. You can establish your life very easily. Here's another, his back. The back is the strongest part of your body. And the Bible tells us that uh, that's where the strength is, of course. It's where all the muscles and, and, uh, and so on are. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, uh, we've all turned uh, everyone to his own way to do their own thing. But, oh sorry, it, it says, by his stripes we're healed. Now think about that. What they did was they stretched them up against a post. And then they had this whip, had all these cords and little bones and pieces of metal in it. And then they would systematically go right down the back, right down the body, one side, right down the body on the other side. And it wouldn't just, just cause them to be red. It would actually start to tear open the whole of the flesh. And the, the, the particular reason the Romans did this was to bring the body into shock and to maximize the suffering of the person. And so they would be torn open. And literally the body would be dripping with blood. And then, they would, and then what they do then is, of course, the person would ultimately, they'd be dragged in the ground, be dirt in it. When they're on the cross, uh, the constant moving up and down on the cross to try and breathe, the wounds are kept open and they continue to bleed. So the blood's continually washing down, coming down the back, constant pain, constant distress. And the Bible tells us very clearly, helps us, says this is for your healing. By his stripes you are healed. If there is no healing for a believer, then there's no need for the stripes to be laid on Jesus. When that blood was shed, it was shed for healing. It was shed for wholeness. Sickness is when we lose our strength in our body. Sickness is a part of the curse of the fall. So when sickness comes around our body, it's an invader. It's part of the cursing. Jesus Christ shed his blood. The blood that ran down his back was shed for you and for me. So there is blood. There's a provision made in Jesus' death. His blood was shed for healing. Why do we not see more people healed? Well, much of it's to do with unbelief. Some of it has to do with unconfessed sin. And some to do with it has just of actually being determined to take hold of what God says is my provision. You know, when they came out of slavery out of Egypt, there was not one sick person. That's a pretty, pretty tall order, isn't it? They were all healed at the Feast of Passover. And we celebrate Jesus as our Passover. Interesting thing about all these feasts. Jesus was the high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus was the offering. He's our offering. Jesus is the altar where the offering was shared. 
Jesus is everything. That's why when, when, when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he said, he said he opened up in their understanding everything in the Old Testament concerning himself. And this was part of it. So they began to see all of what with their tradition and their culture, they saw it something like the lights came on their realized, Oh my, oh my, oh my. That blood that was shed, oh, was shed for this. Blood that was shed for that, oh, was shed for this. They began to see him in all the amazing what he'd done. So he shed his blood for healing. What about his head? Your head is the, the crown of the air. It's interesting, it said, tells us in the, in, in the Bible, let me give you the verse for it. It says, uh, Matthew 27 uh, and 27 to 30, it says, They planted a crown of thorns, beat it upon his head, and they put it down. Then they began to bow down and mock him, and they called him the king of the Jews. They began to mock and ridicule his kingship. Was he a king? Yes, he was. And yet they bowed down and ridiculed him. Now when Adam fell, of course the Bible tells us that he fell by giving up his rulership, by surrendering. He put something in place of God in his life. He put something before God. He put his own wife. He put his own desires before God. And what happened was, the Bible said, there was a curse came, and the ground that he labored, that he should have had dominion over, brought forth thorns. That means it was very hard. It was very difficult. If you'll notice with people today, is they struggle and strive. It doesn't matter who people are. It's like the ground of their life does not yield and become fruitful. They don't prosper easily. There's a lot of sorrows and pains and difficulties accompanying trying to accrue wealth, trying to succeed and get ahead in life. Life seems to be extraordinarily difficult in spite of all the modern appliances we have. Why is that? Because there's a curse on the ground and it won't yield forth willingly. That's why people struggle and wrestle. It's like there's an invisible power that you're working against, and you just get something to happen, and it goes backwards, and something else breaks out. It's like there's a constant pressure against people, and that's a result of the curse. When Jesus took this crown on his head, he dealt with the issue of idolatry in our lives, putting something ahead of God so you and I could be restored to our rightful relationship and the ability to reign in life. You're not a victim anymore. When Jesus had that crown put on him, he suffered, he endured the failure of Adam. He endured Adam's sin, where Adam substituted God being first, put something else first, and in the end brought all of us into a problem. And so Jesus took that. Isn't that amazing? They planted a crown of thorns. And if you place something in your life ahead of Jesus, ahead of God, it's idolatry. And isn't it, have you noticed this? That when you put something ahead of God, how hard life gets? Have you noticed or ever had the experience where God told you to repent of idolatry and when you put something right, life went a lot easier for you? This is, the, this is the crown of thorns. These are the thorns of life. And I found whenever you're going through thorny experiences in life, have a look into your heart and see if something came in your heart ahead of God. If somehow you've displaced God from your life and now your life is very, very hard. I've watched people and it shows the stubbornness they will go through hardship after hardship after hardship and never stop to think that maybe the hardship is the consequence of having idols in my heart, that my life is not rightly aligned. Jesus shed his blood to get our lives right. Oh, today, Lord, I put you first in my life. I seek first 
those things of right living, the things of your kingdom. I seek to honor you in all I do. And I thank you, Lord, today I reign in life. I thank you, Lord, I bring every mistake, every place where I've substituted something for you. I bring it to the cross. Lord, I am guilty as charged, but I thank you today I am forgiven by that blood. I thank you today I reign in life. Your life flows through me. I have the victory. See, you can pray very powerfully if you will start to take what God has done for you and start to bring it in your prayer life and apply it. It's only applied through confession. You have to speak something if you want the things of God to work in your life. See? Uh, it grieves me because I see a lot of people struggle and I watch them go through suffering after suffering after suffering. And yet when you talk to them, it's almost like there's a blindness. They can't see. It's, their, this, it's the things in their heart have stopped them going forward. And only a revelation of that can change it. See, and then the last couple of things then, side. Jesus was wounded on his side. The Bible says in, uh, in John 19 verse 34, the soldiers pierced his side. They just, when they thought he was dead, it's the last thing they did, was they took a sword, a spear, pushed it right up his side into his heart. Blood and water came out. Last place the blood was shed. And he shed that blood for our transgressions. Every place that you and I willfully have sinned against God, willfully have done it. It comes out of the heart. Out of the heart flows the issues of your life. And where our heart has willfully chosen to do something, the blood was shed, not just to cleanse us, but to give us a new heart, a right heart, heart to please God. Oh, Lord, today in my heart, I've willfully gone against you in this way. Lord, I'm so sorry. I decree it's a sin. I declare and agree with your word, what you say about it. But, Lord, I bring it to the cross where the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me forgives me. Today I thank you, you're renewing my heart, a right spirit within me. See, we need to be established in God. Of course, your heart is what condemns you. When it comes to pray, the hardest place it is to stand before God is in your personal life when you come to pray and then you get reminded of all the things you've done wrong. And so the moment you start to be reminded of all the things you've done wrong, you will either take God's remedy and apply the blood to come out of it, or you'll yield and withdraw from God and draw away from Him because you're defeated. That's what lots of people do. They just got overwhelmed and condemned in the heart. If you can't deal with condemnation in the heart, the devil will just have a heyday with you. You see, God has established a plan whereby you and I can be right before Him. It's called the blood of Jesus, and we get right with Him by believing what the blood has done. And said, so if our heart condemns us, God is bigger. If your heart knows something you did wrong, God is bigger. If you have failed and there's something the devil's reminding you of, then God is bigger. The work of the blood of Jesus is bigger. You don't need to live with your head down, condemned by what you failed to do, didn't do, someone pointed out you did. Rather, take that thing and say, I bring it to the cross. By, oh, you're right, Lord, I did do that. Thank you, devil, for pointing that out. I did do that. But I thank you that the blood has covered that thing now. I refuse to be condemned. I refuse to hold myself down. Why? Because there's no condemnation to me in Jesus Christ. And stand up, cleansed by the blood, confident before God. This is the place most people struggle. It's the one place the devil will beat on you more than ever. If you can't break through that, you'll never have a victorious life. You'll struggle never being good enough. We are made good and right before God by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
not by our works. The devil can shift you back to your works, get you focusing on your failures. You lost the battle. The only way I can enjoy the power of God flowing in my life is to know I am righteous before him. By what Jesus did for me, I firmly hold it. How do I hold it? By my heart believing and my mouth confessing. You've got to learn to speak. I listen to people pray. I can tell when they're praying they're not near God. Nowhere near God. And why they're not near God? Because of condemnation. Because of this issue here. The very last thing, they put the thing through his side. Blood came out. And that blood covers what's going on in your heart. Covers your willful transgressions. And so now I can come boldly into his presence. And the Bible tells you to do that. It tells you a protocol for coming into his presence. Thanksgiving, gratitude, praise, boldly. But you'll never know until you stand up and do it that it works. So many people just lay in a, live in a melancholy and a heaviness of condemnation. And they don't feel good enough. Where is that coming from? It's coming from old transgressions. It's coming from old ways. It's coming from the devil accusing you, condemning you. Listen, even if you've got a list as long as your arm and then some of all the things you did wrong, the blood of Jesus is bigger than those things. Oh, bigger than all of them. That's why a murderer, that's why a murderer can be forgiven and become an apostle and the greatest New Testament leader. And you know what? For religious people, it's a mystery. It's a total mystery because religion is built on I have to do it and I have to earn it. And that's why it's a, it astounds people when the grace of God comes to a simple person. Say, oh God, I really missed my life, but I believe you loved me and died for me. I receive your forgiveness. And then God's grace flows in their life. And people say, but he doesn't deserve it. He's still got so many things wrong. And who said you needed to deserve it? Where did that come from? That's the older brother talking, the older brother and the prodigal son. The prodigal son just come back and got all the God blessed him. That's the mercies of God. Oh, the blood. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Lord. I don't live in condemnation and judgment. Eh? Don't need to. You can be free. And if you're free, then let your feet know it. Let your face know it. Let your inner man know it. See, the blood is for all of those things. Last two places was the brow. Interesting, and it took place as the very first place the blood was shed, Luke twenty two forty four. When Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, it said he was, he was sorrowful and in distress. And it says as he came in prayer, because he knew what was coming up. He knew that to, shortly he's going to die in the most horrible way. Now, that would freak you out. Ever been to the dentist, you know, and you know you've got to have something taken out? I went to an Indian dentist in Malaysia, and I had to get a, a, a what do they call those, uh, implant. I was terrified. When they started cutting and the blood spurted, I went into shock. Oh, oh, oh no! Horrible. Now, that's a little thing compared to knowing you're going to be tortured to death tomorrow. That would keep you awake at night, wouldn't it, eh? And so, fear, terrible, terrible fear, dread, anxiety, concern, emotional trauma. That's what he went through. See, what happened was he prayed. Now, he prayed so intensely. 
and so strongly and so fervently, and he's so engaged in purposing. He'd do what God wanted and not draw back. The Bible tells us that he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. And the, the language of it just says that the sweat became blood. So it started off sweating, and then eventually the capillaries started to burst, and blood started to come out. It's a medical condition, and the blood started just flow out through his skin and began to drop down. And what was it all about? His determination to overcome fears, anxieties, dreads, all of those things that would stop us from doing what God wants, from living a powerful life. And he overcame it, shed his blood. So whenever you've got a fear and a dread, go back and look at Jesus. He shed his blood. Why don't you get the blood of Jesus and hold it by your faith confession against that fear? Hold it against that fear. Yes, I'm afraid. Yes, I'm anxious. Yes, I have all these things around my mind. But Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood. Therefore, it will not have power on me. You've got to do it. You've got to, you've got to take a stand on what you saw. He bore our griefs and our sorrows. And so blood is only shed when there's great emotional trauma and distress. So Jesus took all the traumas and distresses that we face in life, took them on himself. Finally, the last one is the bruising. He was bruised for our iniquities. A bruise is an interesting thing because you can't see it. Or you don't see it initially. Someone gets a beating. You know, the interesting thing is they may not fracture the skin, but the next day, man, there's this worst black eye you've ever seen. You ever had a black eye? That's a bruise. Is it painful? Oh, my. You ever had someone playing paintball and someone hit you and you've got these bruises and spots all over you now? And, of course, it's just this red thing. And then if you notice it turns this black color, that's because underneath the skin... The blood, the vessels have been broken and the blood has been shed. And you notice when you touch that bruise how painful it is? <laughs> and you can't even see it. Now, the Bible tells us of Jesus. It tells, I'll just give you the verse and then we'll finish with this. And here it is. This is in, in, in Matthew, in Mark 14:65. They put a hood over his head and they just began to beat him. And the thing about it is when you put a hood over someone's head, you can't see where the blow's coming from. They just kept raining blows on him, and he couldn't see who it was. So tell him who it is. Tell him who it is. Tell us who it is. They mocked him and jeered him. They rained blows on him, and his body and face became bruised. And the Bible says he's bruised for our iniquity. A bruise is something you don't see on the outside because it's underneath. Iniquity is a twist in our life towards sin. Often it comes from our background, our families. It's in our family line. It's in the DNA of our line. And it's a horrible thing because you can't see it, but you find it's affecting your life. You find the thing you hated in your family background is manifesting in your life. It's like a hidden, invisible thing. And so Jesus shed his blood inside, bruised, to break the power of everything, ever you've come from, whatever was in your family line, whatever's in your DNA, blood was shed that you could be free. But you need to take the iniquity to the cross. Lord, and it could be a whole range of things, pride, fear, anger, lust, bitterness. Those are the common ones. I bring my pride to the cross. I have My father walked in pride. I am walking in pride. It's an iniquity in our family, Lord. And I bring it to the cross because the blood of Jesus was shed. He was bruised for my iniquity. So I decree the blood of Jesus Christ breaks that iniquity right now. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. It has no more power. I hold the cross of Christ between me and my family line and decree the blood has broken that power. You've got to be quite assertive on this stuff. 
You notice none of this is timid stuff. It's an, um, it was a huge act of aggression and violence of Jesus to die in such a way and shed his blood so horribly. It's so horrible that, you know, when that movie came out uh, of Jesus, that latest one of Mel Gibson's one, it shocked everyone. What shocked everyone? It, who did it shock? It shocked the Christians. Oh, the lovely, sweet Christians who got a little picture of Jesus on a cross and didn't stop to think that the cross is the most wicked and evil and painful way ever devised to kill a human being, to prolong their suffering, deliberately strip the body of all of its blood so in the end they die from shock and loss of blood. And all the time there's pain that can't be relieved. And we look at the movie and we're so shocked by it. Our sensibility shocked. And it's true because you don't know wants to be exposed to violence. But listen, this is the reality of what Jesus took on so you and I could be free. We honor him when we believe and apply it to our life and live in the freedom. We honor him. And we honor what he's done when we believe what the blood has done, apply it to our lives, and take hold of the freedom he called us to walk in. I don't care what the issue is. The blood of Jesus has the answer for it. No matter whether you will believe or not, will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus shed his blood for you to be free? By the blood of Jesus Christ, I am redeemed. The full price paid, I have to pay no more price. I just need to believe and confess. If you believe in your heart and confess these things with your mouth, the power of God will be released to make them effective in your life. I encourage you to apply. Let's just close your eyes right now. Perhaps there's someone here today and you've never even made the first step to get near to God, which is to receive Jesus Christ. Oh, friend today, I can't put in words how much God loves you. And all of those failures, the things you're ashamed of, things you did with your hands, things that you did with your feet, the choices you've made, the things you've done, the, the way you've thought, the way you've governed your life, the bad choices you've made, the traumas you've been through, or the things that have been in your heart that you never said anything, but you knew they were there. The crookedness, the, the following in old bad ways. Whatever has happened, the blood of Jesus has made a way for you. If you will believe in your heart and receive Jesus Christ, you will be set free. He said, I did not come into this world to judge it. I came to save it. Perhaps you're sitting today in great pain, great anguish of heart, because of your sin and your failures. Friend, Jesus is here for you. He loves you. And if while you were away and abandoning him and refusing him, he died for you, how much more will he give you all that you need? It just requires one decision. Is there any person here today ready to receive Jesus Christ? I'd like you to raise your hand. 